Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 293, Deep Space Hydration. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight and more. Part of what makes human spaceflight as fascinating as it is challenging is the, well, human factor. Humans are very needy in space. We need it to be a good pressure, good temperature. We need sleep, food, air, water, exercise. Seems pretty standard for us stuck here on Earth, but for engineers designing human spacecrafts and systems, it's a huge consideration, especially as we travel farther away from Earth. On the space station, we've gotten pretty good at sustaining humans. In fact, we've done it for more than 22 years, continuously at this point. One system used on board station literally every day is the potable water dispenser. Exactly what it sounds like. It's a system that dispenses potable or drinking water. Astronauts use it every day to rehydrate their astronaut food and to drink, and they've been using it since it arrived on station on STS-126 in 2008. For Artemis missions, we're looking into how to make the system even better and making some upgrades on its reliability and functionality. Enter the Exploration Potable Water Dispenser, the water dispenser of the future. This facility just recently launched to the station on the Northrop Grumman CRS-19 cargo mission, because what better way to find out if the system can work in space for a long time than to put it in space for a long time. To walk us through the system's design and features, as well as the test objectives for the station, is Exploration, Environmental Control, and Life Support Systems Integration Manager Kate Toon, as well as Exploration Potable Water Dispenser Hardware Manager Micah Johnson. All right, let's get started. Kate and Micah, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Took us a bit to, to get here, right? It's a very, <laughs> sure very busy time. Um, and it's raining outside, so we had to hydroplane on the way here, but we got here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, all in the efforts of hydration and water, all the oh, things, yeah. right? That's Definitely. the theme. Yeah, we've got a great exactly. theme to start us off. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's learn a little bit about both of you. Kate, we'll start with you. You have uh, quite sure. a history with the portable water dispenser. Yeah, absolutely. Potable. Yeah, portable water dispenser. Yeah. So, um, first off, uh, you know, how I come into play with my new role with the exploration uh, potable water dispenser uh, is in the exploration ECLIS group, which is environmental control life support. Uh, our group is dedicated to the idea of using the International Space Station as a test bed for exploration missions uh, for our role in our group. That means, you know, all of the life support equipment getting us ready for exploration, Mars, beyond. Mm. Um Fixing the things that are maybe not broken, but could be more efficient, more reliable, um, and, and just in general better so that we can, you know, make that big hurdle for exploration. And ISS is our test bed for that. You know, you can only do so much on the ground. So my team of people um, are working on, you know, oxygen generation, potable water generation, um, even just water processing in general. So we're just trying to fix all those things to get us to get us ready. Yeah. Reliability, efficiency, all of that is absolutely key. It's pretty right? key, you don't right? have a Home Depot on Mars <laughs> we or, definitely or don't. the moon even. <laughs> it's just you need to have things run as efficiently as possible. Yeah, so. exactly. Now, your history with the potable water dispenser, dispenser is not very recent, right? No, yeah. You're not just talking exploration. You you have a history with even the legacy one, the one right. that's on station Right, yeah, I, I do. Um, 
I started my career here um, at uh, NASA after a three-tour uh, co-op stint um, with Texas A&M University, and I graduated with a biomedical engineering degree. Um, and once I got there, I put on a lot of ver variety of life support type of hardware, so um, including the potable water dispenser. This is, oh my gosh, I'm going to date myself back in 2007. <laughs> and I was a part of that original team um, that worked on the first generation for uh, ISS for the U.S. side. Um, so that team over the course of two years uh, was the first to design that. And I was just a project engineer, but worked with the PMs and uh, the Jacobs contract to develop that and deliver that. So uh, since then, um, I've had a variety of stent of other life support hardware, inc including um, the total organic carbon analyzer, which reads um, mm. microbial counts in the water, which full circle to the potable water dispenser. Uh, you know, we check the water quality via that hardware um, just to make sure that um, it's good for crew use. So um, just had several just pieces of hardware through my career. And here I am um, certifying and delivering the exploration PWD as full circle. So awesome. It's nice to see everything in uh, <laughs> that life cycle. Yeah. Well. And I can't wait to get into this new piece of hardware. But yeah. Michael, let's 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 talk about you for a second yeah, and your so history that led you to where you are. I uh, it's funny hearing her talk about her education <laughs> background because I too uh, was part of the co-op program out of Texas A&M University. All right, biomedical engineer as well. So it's very funny. <laughs> I don't to hear know that. that I knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know we never really talked about that before. So that's interesting. But anyway, there you go. I was a. Uh, Working with uh, Lockheed Martin at the time, and we I was supporting the human research facility. Uh, mm. This was back in 2000. And so, um, anyway, so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. They hired me once I did graduate. And so I continued with uh, that group uh, as a project engineer and then worked my way up to lead and project manager over a couple of years and stuff. So I've done uh, quite a few different projects across the board. As a contractor, you support your NASA customer, uh, different divisions of NASA. So whatever work projects come out of, you know, that that customer base, you know, we support. And so um, I've worked on everything from like a, a human mass measurement device, an ultrasound for space station. Uh, I've worked on Robonaut. I've worked on, mm. uh, I've developed a, um, the ICWCs, which is a iodine compatible water container. Mm. And that's kind of how I got introduced into a lot of the ECLIS, uh subsystems with dealing with water and whatnot. And then I'm trying to think of what else. A whole bunch of different projects. Yeah, uh, I love yeah. projects. It's a great thing. But anyway, eventually, uh, I'm working under a new contract, um, um, cargo mission contract, and they have a small projects office. And one of the projects that came forward to us um, was this XPWD project. And uh, since I had history with working with, uh, you know, portable water systems and just ECLIS stuff in general, uh, I was slated to work it, and I'm glad I did. So, because it's an awesome project. Yeah, so, yeah, and I can't wait to get into it. Let's let's talk though about the the legacy one first. We sure. keep saying we keep saying potable water dispenser, but let's just take you know high level. What is that? What does it do? Um, and we can start with some of the older systems, Kate. Yeah, sure. So, um, legacy potable water dispenser. Um, when it was delivered originally in, I think it was it's on ULF two, which was two thousand and eight. It accompanied the rest of what we call the region ECLIS hardware, which is uh, the water processor, urine processor, again to become 
um, self-reliant, not completely, but uh, as self-reliant as we can with water processing on ISS, but then not only that, provide crew with, uh, we say, potable water. That means drinkable water. I think of your campsite, you know, use the water, don't drink it kind of thing. You know, this is the cleanest water that you could, even compared to the ground, the potable water dispensers. Water is cleaner than really um, any water that people on the ground kind of normally get. Like um, out of your home faucet. Yeah, or absolutely. Like okay. But maybe uh, arguably better um, yeah. just from a water quality <laughs> wow. perspective. Cool. You know, free of bugs and a lot of contamination, um, which is just required in our closed loop system on station to remove all that and uh, make it as clean as possible. Because you know we are obviously a closed loop system on station. Mm. Even the smallest level of contamination or something goes back into condensate and then back into the system. So no water is officially lost unless we purposely trash it. So you like it clean a little bit for the people, but really for the system. We're a little selfish for our <laughs> yeah. some of our. Best and our scrubbing processes and our uh, oxygen generation systems. I mean, it's all full circle one thing and you yeah. mess up the balance, so to speak. You mess up everything. So yeah. it ends with the crew, of course, um, but, you know, the systems are affected too. So, uh, yeah, so uh, we the potable water dispenser on station as it is today, which um, once we get to exploration, PWD, um, just as a note, this will be both running in tandem. We'll have both up there running and for crew use. Mm. Um, but uh, the legacy PWE, as it is today, and will stay there until further notice, um, <laughs> uh, it pulls from um, the potable water bus, which is our water processor. And um, so it needs to be deiodinated for the legacy PWD as well as um, the current exploration PWD. Uh, iodine in that system is our biocide or active biocide that's mm-hmm. pulled out um, prior to crew consumption. Mm. Um, so, um, Legacy PWD, you know, um, trying to think of anything else. Well, just let's talk about iodine. Let's yeah. talk like, so why why can't we drink it? Uh, iodine uh, is a great biocide. Um, the Russians use silver um, as their biocide, but biocide's just not healthy to regularly drink, just from medical standards. Okay. It, um, it's it would mess with your. Um, your system. <laughs> it's yeah. a lack of better words. It's just not for ingestion. But, okay. you know, um, same thing on the ground. You know, we we have active biocides and water processing plants and such, but it's always removed prior to consumption. Um, but it's a way to keep systems and lines clean while it's kind of en route and, um, you know, mm. getting to, to crew. So Because uh, you, talk, you talk about closed loop and we can expand on that mm-hmm. just a little bit, right? So it's not just, you know, like we what we are getting at is you don't have just a tank of water that you're pulling from. This whole, like it is constantly being recycled and worked through other parts of the International Space Station. So it's not just... It's not just drinking water. Water serves different purposes on ISS. Yeah, I mean, uh, the water system, you know, we pull, like I said, you know, even humidity and water um, generation from systems, you know. So if we got running components and from that you get condensation, you know, that water is reclaimed back into the atmosphere, which then goes back into the water processor. Um, The urine from the crew also gets processed in the urine processor that goes back into the water processor, which becomes, yes, today's coffee. So, um, but regardless, it's not just a tank of water that's sustained and maintained. It's a, a ever moving system. And that, and that flow of the water on station is very important too. you know, to keep things moving, mm. prevents microbial growth and, um, film biofilm growth. Um, so, uh, which will be a key component when we talk about for exploration PWD as well as legacy PWD, um, just the 
ever running nature, lack of stagnation to, to try and prevent uh, those kinds of issues. But. Okay. Still, still on the legacy for just a second, cause yeah. just to, to get a sense, right? Because I'm, um, if you're on the ground, you think of a water dispenser as maybe like a water cooler. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the microgravity design of how to get water from a system and into a little pouch, so you can actually drink it or you can rehydrate food, just very high level. What are like the key components that make the potable water system, you know, microgravity friendly? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We utilize on Legacy PWD um, the water bus pressure to get water into the system. Okay. Um, and uh, we regulate via valves and um, check valves, solenoid valves, um, to push and monitor water into food packages. Um, on the front of Legacy PWD, but also Exploration PWD, which we'll get to, um, there's mm -hmm. incremental amounts depending on what food you're rehydrating. Um, and uh, also heated water, heated, heated um, basically inside the Legacy and Exploration PWD, we've got coils that gradually heat the water so that you can have warm water or something warm for mm. whatever you're rehydrating as well. Um, the coils act as a really good, um, you know, way to slowly but uh, surely heat the water uh, through the, um, the lines there. Um, and that's worked in both designs mm. so far. So anything to add, Mike? I mean, you... Um, no, I mean, that's about basically about it. I, I would say that predominantly, though, you know, the water systems, when you say microgravity friendly, I mean, yeah. we rely on pumps yeah, exactly. to generate a pressure head yeah. to push the water through. So there is no gravity, so you can't rely on height. You know, like, you right. know, you see driving around here, you see the big water towers where you're using the, you know, the height component to generate your delta P yeah. uh, pressure gradient. Pressure. Uh, here, we have to rely on pumps. So, okay. And I, I will say that we are not, the, the PWD and the XPWD do not have pumps installed. They are upstream of us. Right. So there is a, uh. there is a, when she said potable uh, water bus pressure, uh, there are other systems upstream of us that provide that pressure head to us too. So really, truly, all we are doing is opening valves to allow the water to flow through. So okay. um, mm -hmm. now, you know, that doesn't mean in the future for other missions, you know, where maybe there isn't a, a great uh, pressure head up, upstream, but we would have to. But so far, we rely on a pump system um, to generate a pressure head that then you know, allows the water to flow through the systems. So. Yeah. Okay. That's a good ad. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Now, um, if, if still looking at the le the legacy one, when it comes to just because you, you talked about, Kate, that, you know, you've been working on this since 2007, 2008 kind of time frame. That's a long time that it's been operating in microgravity. Absolutely. Just Just taking that, taking the operation over more than a decade, mm -hmm. how did it do? Yeah. You know, um, so... Like any good piece of ISS hardware, there is a learning curve with it, what yeah. you think it's going to do on, on the ground and what its requirements were set out to do and what it does on orbit. Um, you know, I would say, uh, you know, ISS, uh, Legacy PWD, uh, had a, a bit of a learning curve when we started up. Um, when we delivered in 2008, um, the unit sat, one of the biggest lessons learned, I would say, at the beginning, and that feeds into Exploration PWD is you know, the stagnation of the water inside of the unit once we got it up there in 2008 to check it out, which what I mean by that is, you know, flow through it, get the water out of it, but then check water quality with the total organic carbon analyzer, as I referenced earlier, yeah. which measures uh, total organic carbon in the water, which is um, effectively 
I don't, uh, bacteria for bacteria. Yeah, bacteria, well, food for bacteria. And so from oh, that, yes. you know that you probably have a bacterial source. So if there's food, there might be bacteria. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how we check water quality on station. Um uh, today and to ensure it's good for um, drinking uh, amongst also, of course, checking constituents in the water for water quality, like for the chemical constituents of water. Uh, but we, sorry, getting back to point, you know, we checked it out and immediately we saw the total organic carbon um, and an elevated um, um, quantity mm. and knew uh, we had to remediate the system before crew could actually um, start drinking off of it and using it or eating the for the um, eating food packages with the water. Um, sure. So uh, we weren't anticipating that. Um, and it, it was, as I said, with the rest of the region ECLIS hardware on station that was just delivered on ULF2 as well, PWD kind of became the focal point from a center director perspective of trying to get it up and running ASAP because it was preventing other mission goals of checkouts. Oh. Um, so my team of like three at the time, uh, quickly worked with the amazing water quality lab here on site um, to develop uh, basically a, you know, material cert only uh, set of packages of Teflon bags, small water iodinated bags, um, 40 ppm of iodine. I died. Uh, <laughs> Parts per million. Uh, yes. And mm-hmm. so, and we sent up a series of six Teflon bags, sizes of, you know, maybe seven inches by, you know, three inches long, you know, small Teflon bags. And we sent them up on the next flight um, to inject into the system to flush it out and remediate it um, so that we could get it into a drinkable status. Uh, That was, say again? No, it says a shot kit. A shot kit, that's what we called it. Normal station iodine levels, we're talking like three ppm. Yeah. This is 40. So you're 10 times order of magnitude. Exactly. And the whole point is to, you want to, it's shocking it. It's just like in a pool at your home. You know, normally you have your normal chlorine generation going on. But every once in a while, you got to shock it with that shock bag, which is much higher. When you pour the stuff in. That's the analog to it. Exactly. Yeah. And so we, my team, yeah, again, full circle of 2008 timeframe and near and dear of things that we considered for the exploration PWD here now in 2022. 2023, um, when we delivered. Uh, yeah, so we we sent it and it was successful. Uh, we remediated the system with the shock kit, as we called it at the time, and um, injected the 40 ppm of iodine into the system, um, remediated it, checked it out with the water quality system on station and uh, recovered it. So but cool. f- but from there, yeah, I mean, there was other little things that we learned, um, crew use and how um, how we insert the uh, packages into what we call the beverage adapter. There were some things about the design of that in microgravity and the needle design that wasn't quite right um, mm. with the flow of water and how it hit angles within the needle, for example, um, and then sometimes backing out the water into back into the adapter where you put the packages. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of little lessons learned. Once we had our kind of six to months to a year of checkout of use, you know, we really got into a rhythm with uh, a legacy PWD. And it, to your original question, we took us a while to get back to it, but it's been functioning great, you know. Uh, and uh, we've learned things, um, you know, here and there things. But overall, I think the crew, you know, loves their rehydration station. I mean, food's a big component of the psychology of space flight. So yeah. giving that to them is a very uh, important attribute, space flight. Yeah. And that's exactly what I w- wanted to s- sort of set the tone for with that, with understanding the the, the legacy system is, um, you know, 
it's been operating for a long time, uh, that's great. It means that the design of operating for a long time in space, like we can have a lot of confidence in that. But what you guys are doing is just taking it one step further mm-hmm. with reliability, with some of the functionality, right? We're going to talk about uh, getting, you know, um, making the water safer and stuff like that for, for exploration. And so um, so let's get into that. Yeah. So what, what you're saying, Kate, with a lot of the a lot of those little things that we can learn from, from the legacy system very much are going to lead into what we're going to talk about for the exploration potable water dispenser. There's a lot of cool functions in this that make it just that much better. Micah, we'll go to you. So it talks about the design of exploration um, potable water dispenser. What are those core functions? What are those nice little extra features that make it the next generation? Sure. Um, So in all these spaceflight projects for ISS and beyond, Let's start with, there's a lot of requirements that drive your design in terms of things that you have to deal with in terms of power, how much power you consume or utilize, Mm. space, how much you weigh, you know, things like that. So Not a lot and not a lot. You know, so... (laughs) Do more with less. Do more with less. Exactly. So, you know, coming to a design for XPWD, we, you know, you have to take all those considerate, you know, things into consideration. Yeah. But you also rely on... Because we did have legacy PD, PWD to look back to to say, okay, hey, here's what it is. There are, you know, certainly there are features that are the same. I mean, at the heart of it, it's dispensing water to the, you know, to a food or drink bag. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and there were some key requirements that we wanted to maintain, you know, in terms of like how the crew interacts with it. So one of the, we wanted to keep it similar to in terms of uh, human factors. And mm. crew interfaces in terms of, you know, knobs they switch, buttons they press, okay. things like that. So, um, because, you know, you don't want to have to teach. They've been using it for many, many years. You don't want to have to teach them a whole new thing in the system when it's doing the same function in terms of dispensing water. But moving beyond those similarities, you know, some of the technologies that we've incorporated in things that we went after, you have your first, you know, is like technology changes over the years, obviously. So you're talking something from 2008 to something in 2020. So, you know, there are just upgrades in terms of electronics, you know, yeah. and, and things that uh, parts Inherent obsolescence. reliability yeah, that you get. You know, uh, parts <laughs> obsolescence that, yeah. you know, you have to make those changes. Those are like at circuit board level, you know, changes like that. Okay. But then, so, but then you go into more of, I guess, um, some of the functionality in terms of, um, well, let's start with addressing some of the con- issues that came up for, oh, sorry. No, go oh, I'll, I'll, I'll XPWD. Just... So one of, or one of the big things that she's talked about, Kate talked about, was about the stagnation issue. So um, when we talk about stagnation in a water system, that is an area where the water flow is not, it's not flowing through all the time, or you get like eddy currents, little whirlpools. And what happens is, is mm. biofilm tends to grow in those areas. So Uh, when I say biofilm, we're talking the the bugs, you know, whatever it is, microbes, you know. And and so a goal of our design was to make it a streamlined system where you have what we call dead legs. Um, We wanted to eliminate that from the design. So in the Hmm. original PWD, there were areas where you would have um, stagnation points to where water would sit 
and not get touched uh, through long durations of time. And or even when you were flowing through water, you water wasn't circulating in those areas and stuff. Um, they had accumulators where water would just sit because they had to accommodate for thermal expansion. And, and just some of those design aspects were creating this problem of biofilm generation. And so hmm. what we wanted to do was take a look at that and say, okay, why did they do that in their design? All right, can we change it? Can we improve upon that? And so that's, you know, what we did. And so um, it, the first thing that we did was a new plumbing layout. And so some, yeah. from entrance of the water from a, you know, upstream QD to the output, you know, we wanted to streamline that plumbing design to allow where all water is, is constantly flowing all surfaces and you're not having, you know, obviously it's going to sit when you're not dispensing, but even when you're dispensing, you want that water to go through, pass through everything and touch every surface hmm. because friction that is generated from that water flowing over the surfaces is what's going to remove the biofilm and prevent it from growing. So, yeah. yeah. And, and so that's, you know, one of the original, you know, why it came to our group and our team um, of, you know, for our exploration ECLIS group, Environmental Control Life Support, is, you know, this idea that legacy PWD doesn't do well in uh, long, long-term long stagnation, even going into dormancy, which for exploration missions, we, we need to consider as a reality of how the systems will have to function. And so, like Micah was saying, you know, this uh, you know, basically the, the top three things we were looking at for exploration PWD wasn't so much like, I know you were asking the question of like crew usability, how did it yeah. influence the design now? You know, yes, they were here and there like, oh, the lights and the push buttons and, you know, the adapter for the packages, they were improved. And we, we did definitely send crew feedback, of course. Uh, but the real, you know, core of what exploration PWD was providing us was this new layout and plumbing to mm. remove to remove stagnant legs, to enable dormancy for the system, you know, um, and the ability to use new technology for the UV disinfection. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, just back to legacy for a second, how we, um, we say disinfect the water, as I already alluded to, we use basically the iodine from the potable bus that gets flowed into the system, but we remove that via something we call um, an Actex, um, don't ask me the full acronym right now. I don't, know what, I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but it removes the iodine for us. But then the important mm -hmm. part is that it goes to a 0.2 micron filter. And that uh, is like a point of use filter from for microbial growth. Uh, how exploration PWD is different is it uses uh, UV disinfection, basically LED bulbs to sterilize the water at the point of use. Uh, UV disinfection is a huge key core technology we're trying to demonstrate because... Mm. 0.2 micron filters is a, a mass hit, right, for exploration. You'd have to continue, we have to continue to replace that as like a orbital replacement unit. Oh, um, yeah. ORU. You have to fly spares. Yeah, to yeah. fly spares. Yeah, the 0.2 micron has like a shelf life of, you know, once it's wetted like six months or a year yeah. or something like that. So, so quite a bit of space. Yeah, versus, yeah. you know, the UV, UV, which is, is yeah. hours based. It's LED, you know, it's a UV LED Power and, technology. And, and it's survived. So, so again, you know, high level, the big three things for exploration PWD was enabling dormancy, utilizing new technology to reduce mass, which is the UV light technology for sterilization, and removing dead legs, which Mike already alluded to. You know, this dormancy, getting into in and out of dormancy, this continuous flow, don't have stagnant paths. 
these are all things we needed for our um, exploration missions. So. I can see that being like a really fun project to just to look at the path and just it's like, where's the stagnation? And look at literally every nook and cranny of that. And yeah, just... actually, that's a great, <laughs> I'm just going to insert another story of yeah. lessons learned. So we also, upon delivery, uh, you know, when we said that we had that microbial event, we, we were like, well, is it just the stagnation? Is there something in the design? And we found corrugated tubing that we decided to design with um, one of the lines within the legacy PWD. Yeah, and I say corrugated tubing, it's like little, has little ridges and nooks and crannies, the epitome of like, we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so much so that within the year, we also replaced it with smooth wall tubing just, just for that. And we still had, of course, all the dead legs in the system, but at least we had smooth walls. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that, and it, you know, from a design perspective, we put it, the corrugated tubing in at the time with, you know, little thought there, but, you know, just to create more space in the system, right? You're like, oh, it's corrugated, so I can move it around the system and make it into That's the box why. that okay. you need, right? And so it had its design reason, but practic practicality of it all and that the the little ebbs between all of the, you know, the corrugated line just was just a home for bacterial growth. Just another lesson learned. All yeah. smooth walls. Yeah. <laughs> as much as you can. Anyways. Yeah, no, I mean, going into that, I mean, because it is very important that, you know, what she's talking about, the smooth walls and stuff like that. But, right. you know, again, going back to this plumbing enhancement, it is a big deal and uh, yeah. in terms of what we did. And so even so much like we had to, we had an innovation that we incorporated in our design with our thermal expansion device. We call it the TED. But uh, so a lot of your thermal expansion devices re re revolve around bellows or reservoirs to, so um, let me describe thermal expansion real quick. So uh, when you have temperature gradients uh, in a closed system, you're going to get the water is, well, not even closed, but in general, water expands or contracts. So as you get water gets warmer, it expands, just like air expands, like in your balloon, you know, that and when you get hotter out that your balloon gets bigger. When it gets cold, it shrinks. Same mm -hmm. thing, water behaves the same way. It's a fluid. And so um, because of that, in your closed loop system, um, where you're, you're shut off from any, you know, upstream or downstream, you can create high pressure gradients because of mm. thermal expansion. Because we do have a heater and we have, and the water's coming in can be up as low as 65 degrees um, and you're heating water to nearly 200 degrees. That's a huge thermal gradient. So you can generate mm. really high pressure. So you need something to accommodate this thermal expansion. But um, and so in the legacy PWD, they utilized an accumulator, basically, a, or a reservoir, a secondary like tank holding. So as it expanded, water would come into it. And then, it, and then when it would, you dispense it, you would kind of get it out. But that was a major source of stagnation problem. Mm -hmm. So oh. in our design, we, like I said, uh, one of a technology innovation that we incorporate, we, this TED device. So it, uh, we developed it. Uh, it took a little while to design and stuff, um, and uh, it it um, basically it allows for the fluid can pass through it fully, so it's not holding water. Um, it has a a particular design that allows you know fluid flow to go through it, touch all surfaces, so you're not getting film development. But it has these diaphragm titanium diaphragm plates that you know by you know 
I guess, geometry and, and just, you know, mechanical properties, they flex when the pressure goes up. So huh. it allows for a volume to expand. And then when it cools, it can contract and stuff. And we had to do, we also did computational fluid dynamics analysis of it to make sure that the water flowing through our system is touching all the surfaces and generating enough friction and all that stuff. And then for this device, you know, we did fatigue analysis, which we met because because they are flexing, you want to make sure that they're expand, not going to break. Expand, contract, expand, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you're yeah. Ex- and you're experiencing these upwards of you know 150, 200 degree swings of big, you know we had to make yeah. sure that it would survive that. And you know we so we did lots of analysis, but it was a. a an interesting and uh, neat uh, design to work on and to incorporate and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, things like that, you know, it's, you know, it seems small because it's just one little component in our stream, but it's a very important element of the design to make sure that we're eliminating these, right. you know, these dead legs and whatnot. So, yeah, um, I just, anyway, yeah. no, and I just, I, this is, that's good. And I was just going to say, you know, when we were coming into this podcast, you know, you had asked, you know, you know, that idea of, you know, what crew feedback was that you made the system, you know, the way it is today. And yeah. those little features and things that we did definitely enabled it. But like I said, you know, for exploration, it's kind of like we had mission success goals for the next generation, less of crew feedback on functionality. We had some core goals that we needed to to iron out um, with this next unit. Um, and then just the obvious, you know, station, uh, <laughs> the folks we have on station is growing, right? So having a second water source um, for rehydration was also another big benefit to station, not just for our exploration goals, but, yeah. you know, not creating a line at the kitchen, so to speak, um, so that everybody has a chance to get their food as we ever increase our crew size and complement. So I'm sure it'll be desired right. <laughs> here shortly. More upgrades? More upgrades. Let's talk so, about them. So uh, another big delta that we incorporated in XPD is um, we made it kind of smart in the sense of Absolutely. Uh, mm. we add. So one of the requirements that uh, the uh, NASA wanted us to incorporate is the ability to get data, telemetry data from the unit on orbit. So this is like information on you know how sensors are behaving, mm. you know current levels, you know voltage levels. Uh, life of the filter the um, or excuse me the uv reactor mm-hmm. things like you know all this type of information uh you know they wanted to have more insight into its performance and yeah so, legacy pwd yeah. that's a great ad you know, yeah legacy pwd didn't have any really telemetry on the system and so this was yeah like mike said, it was a, huge a new oh. capability i guess so um and with that you know we had some new technology um that we incord- included in its design, um, a we, you know we call it the brains of the system, but yeah. it's a, a programmable automated controller uh, unit that basically talks and tells you know tells like when the valves to open or it it tells when the heaters to turn on and off it. It tells, you know, when the UV reactor should turn on and off. It's uh, so. And, and so in yeah. practicality, why that's important or how that's been important in the lessons we've learned from legacy is, you know, over time valves and tolerances of these, you know, water dispense in state on station vary and it will vary and it has varied. And so having this insight into, you know, how valves are reacting and the power draws and, and how the system's performing, you know, we can 
by telemetry adjust. So like, let's say Mm. 25 mLs isn't quite 25 mLs anymore when you want to dispense. If we have to adjust, now we have the heart telemetry to get, you know, exploration PWD to adjust based on system performance. You can command. You can, we can command. XPD from the ground to tell it to do stuff. So much so, so, right? So we have two um, unique settings on exploration PWD. So we have basically dispense um, hard dispenses with a knob on the front, which is similar to legacy 25 ml to 250. But we also have two customizable settings. We call it custom one, two. Yeah, yeah. And if it's a preference, you know, say that crew complement really likes, I don't know, fajitas or something, you know, and that is always a certain quantity, you know, that can be customized for that crew. And again, adjusted on the ground to, to make that a custom setting. So when it goes to that turn and that knob, uh, for custom one, it'll always dispense at whatever you want versus just the gradient of 25 to 250 and a circular knob as it clicks yeah. over. Wow. Yeah. Cool. If you want 27 milliliters or 57, some weird number, you can make it do it. Yeah. So. You know, and that's been um, <laughs> something that crew has feed, fed back on, you know, the the food lab here is awesome on site. I don't know if yeah. anybody's had a chance to go there, but it's pretty awesome. But, you know, they have a set standard for how much things should be rehydrated, right? This requires this. Sure. And it's like basically the instructions on your food package um, of how much it should rehydrate. But, you know, crew likes it sometimes, you know, a little soupier or, you know, it, yeah. and, and becomes, you know, a crew preference. And so crew has learned over time and especially with their extended stays of kind of how they prefer to rehydrate their food. So just uh, get again, back to the idea of food is comfort on station, something f- familiar and uh, comfort item, you know, giving them the ability to adjust that's, you know, that's great. That customization. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. I think another improvement that I saw uh, on the list for the X um, PWD is, uh, you know, since we're on the topic of crew and preference and stuff like that, this may have to do a little bit with crew. This might have to do a little bit with the ground team. But I know accessibility and maintenance was one thing that oh, you yeah. guys took a look at because mm-hmm. if you have to fix or do whatever to the portable water dispenser, you do want to make it as easy as possible. And and you made some you made some upgrades to that. Yeah, right? I mean, one of the the main things that we wanted to go after was this continual maintenance uh, aspect of PWD hmm. is the, the exchange of the, the filter. So I see. Uh, legacy PWD had a, this Actex, this iodine filter removal, uh, iodine filter removal media. Uh, and then they also had this 0.2 micron and it was in this, they called an ORU orbital replacement unit, but it was in a nice little package, you know? Um, so PWD had that. And so, but where it was located, was on the side of the unit. Sorry, yeah, thunder there. Uh, it was on the <laughs> side of a unit, and you had to literally pull the the chassis of the PWD out from its locker. Uh, you know, it did have slide rails, but you had to pull it out. So you had to do a lot of activities just to pull it out. A lot of crew time. Then mm-hmm. you had to remove this panel to get to it on the side. And like if if your slide rails were buggered up or something you maybe couldn't remove it all the way whatever you know yeah and but it just took some time and you know crew time is a very valuable commodity uh for uh, you know stationed right now and anyway so one of the th- key things we wanted to do is let's move it to the front so they don't have to pull it out from the drawer and do all this you know so let's simplify its removal and you know because this um the old design had a, a quite complex mechanism that you had to go through which latching and unlatching to pop it out of qds yeah and so we you know we were like can we make it more simple um you know can we make it to where you don't have to pull it out of the drawer you can do everything from the front and so uh, that was something that we did so uh, we were able to 
relocate essentially where its location was to the front. So now the crew can just undo a couple of screws, pull it out, put the new one in, and, you know, it saves quite a bit of time. So they still have to replace it. It is something that does have a lifetime on it. The, uh, the filters, since we went down to just one, uh, to we still have the Actex to remove the iodine. That's mm -hmm. something that we will always... As long as you have iodine as your biocide, as part of your water bus, your potable water on station, you're going to have to remove it for mm. point of use. And so we still had to have our iodine filter um, <clears throat> and it has, still has to be replaced. And so, but um, it just now it's easier to do. Now it's so, easier. Yeah. And they can just do it right there at the front and save some crew time. Um, Let's go back to yeah. UVs for a second yeah, because yeah. Cause it's related to the filters, right? So just it sounded like the Legacy had multiple filters. Yeah, to get so rid of the for microbial control, um, specifically, once you remove the iodine. So once you remove the iodine, you no longer have this uh, biocide in your water. So the 0.2 micron filter that was in the PWD design was downstream of this iodine filter. So you okay. remove the iodine, now water's flowing through unidinated, so stuff could grow. So then you have this 0.2 micron filter that was supposed to, you know, remove, you know, if there was anything to potentially grow in between, this would remove it uh, on its way out. One it, it, for the one for the iodine, one for the nasties. Right. Yes. Okay. Now, whereas UV, yeah. right, isn't a filter anymore. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's the uh, sterilization of water Got via the, the UV lights okay. that are hitting, um, a, you know, the surface area of the water. Yeah. And, you know, Legacy PWD, the 0.2 micron filter, did um, do well. Yeah, it works. Um, you know, well, yeah. once we had the constant flow, the 0.2 filter did its job. And we actually use that kind of 0.2 filter um, used all over, all yeah. over station. Yeah. It's not oh. just in the um, the potable water dispenser. So um, very common, so to speak, item um, on station, but trying to move away from that with the UV uh, lights. Yeah, so because what we're gaining from this in terms of exploration is you know, you're, now you're talking Reduce really mass. long duration type activities. So uh, this has a shelf life. So if you're talking six months a year shelf life, that's not, it's not going to make it for right. something where your mission is two years. Yeah. And so, or three years or whatever. And so the benefit of the UV reactor is, is it is based on the life of the bulb. I mean, there's a couple factors that go into it, but one of the main things in terms of his life, lim what limits his life is the fact of, it has this LED, and as you know, you know, here in, for terrestrial applications, LEDs last pretty long. So yeah. this thing has upwards to eight to 10,000 hours of operation. And because we only turn it on when we're using it, and every so often we turn it on, you know, you're not using it constantly. So, mm -hmm. I mean, ours, you know, through our usage assumptions and things like that, this it should last eight to 10 years. And so, I mean... I don't have to replace a 0.2 micron every year now. Yeah. So, just a um, little bit more power, yeah. and now you can reduce your filter yeah. usage by it, half or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and further, you know, what we've found through utilizing this technology is that, you know, we, that the UV light, like on terrestrial you know, uses and how these bulbs work, it's actually an ever growing market. It's only improving right. uh, exponentially yeah. almost for UV reactor lights as sterilization. So, you know, there's even promise perhaps in the future, if you can get down to a certain power level usage, because you can't just have these for sterilization everywhere, it would probably be too much power with the technology yeah. as it is today. Uh, but the market's growing. And so, 
you know, proving out this technology now just at the fundamental level for other applications on larger scale could be hugely beneficial and kind of a paradigm shift for sterilization on uh, for water systems in general. So yeah. it's it's the beginning to something of this technology usage that I think has a lot of space flight applications in the future. You it's have great. to be forward thinking with that's, this kind that's of stuff. That's the team. Right? That's the goal. Yeah. 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 Got to think about it. So. Um, I think we hit a lot of the different functions of XPWD. I think the heater is the one we haven't touched yet, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's been improved. Yeah, so one of the things with the heater that we wanted to address was the ability to um, make it more efficient. So heat the water faster or or uh, use less power to do so. So you're only given so much amount of power, like I talked about, in terms of requirements that, you know. And because heaters do take a lot of power to, you know, generate the heat to heat them, you know, we're not obviously dealing with an open flame and a stove, you know, type of situation. So we're utilizing electric heater technology, basically. So uh, heater um, heater strips around, a, you know, a piece of metal and mm -hmm. then you heat the metal, which then heats the water itself. So, okay. Um, so and nothing that, you know, in terms of the PWD, it worked perfectly fine. Um, it, it did its job. We wanted to make it to where it would heat the water a little bit faster. And then when you did heat the water, when you got up to temperatures, you know, that it was supposed to get, we wanted it to uh, use less power in terms of, you know, certain channels could turn on and off. And mm. in the such that maybe you're only heating this little bit of portion to keep it at temperature as opposed to heating everything constantly. And then it turns off and then it cools and then it all turns on again, you know. And so these mm. are not a, in both systems, they're not on-demand water heaters like the new technology craze here on terrestrial applications where you're, you got to understand that those type of systems require, you know, 10 kilovolts of power, you know, just just tons power of have. power. Yeah. We don't have that ability. So if you want water on demand where you're getting, you know, 150 degree, you either got to have tons of power or you got to have a long heat pipe, you know, something that allows you to keep, you know. And again, so back to our requirements, we don't have that much power, we don't have that much space. <laughs> so there is a, it is function in terms of sort of like your old school where you're heating a, a, you know, a tub of water, although ours is not a tub, you're talking like pipes or in our case, a, a spiral corkscrew looking apparatus, but you're, you're kind of heating it in that old school way. But we want to do it as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to uh, reduce the amount of power of sustaining that temperature, you know, so when it's not being used, like I said, you're not constantly heating it. It's or, that surface you know, area contact yeah. through so, the system that is heating it yeah. and trying to make it the most efficient. Uh -huh. And so we went through a couple of, you know, trade studies, design, uh, you know, early design um, looks at, you know, different, cap you know, technologies or different uh, layouts. And, you know, and we ultimately, you know, went with the design that we have currently. But um, it also ties back into this programmable automated controller I talked about earlier where we have the ability, again, from the ground to, uh, we can also turn on and off certain heater channels. Like maybe we find that, hey, you know, we only need four of them running to get it to temperature fast. You mm -hmm. know, like we can reduce the power and we can say, eh, don't turn those ones on. Hmm. Or if maybe one of them's not working, you know, one of the channels is not working for our heater design, it will still run. It will still heat the water. I mean, and, and so... Um, you know, redundancy, if you will, that's, you know, these are yep. some of the, the changes that we incorporate into the heater. So, yeah. 
Saving a lot of power. Okay. All yeah. right. Did we hit all the features of the potable water dispenser? I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think so. We, covered, we covered a lot. Yeah, yeah we yeah. did. Good. Yeah. It's it's yeah it's it's really uh, it's exciting. Yeah. So you know, uh, it's supposed to go on NG nineteen here coming up. Uh, yeah. it, it was supposed to launch a month ago. Yeah. Uh, NG nineteen slipped out. Uh, right now we're looking at July, but the current flight plan may put us a little later. Um, you know, back back to the you know moment of thinking of stagnant systems. I can't help you know <laughs> back to the it's point of yeah. it's, it's going to be sitting for a while. You know, yeah. if at minimum you know, and we've acknowledged this as the ISS program that it's going to be sitting for longer than we had desired. Um, but you know, something else for ground processing, we've done a lot for you know uh, upgrading or making our ground sterilization practices you know, better um, based on what we learned as well. So we're hoping those ground improvements prior to delivery have helped us here to maintain even longer, you know, duration, stagnation for as before it gets up there. So nice. Yeah. Very cool. So when it gets up there, um, you said it's going to be, you're not going to get rid of the legacy one. We're yeah. going to have two systems running. So mm -hmm. that's going to be nice and convenient. Yeah. If someone's reheating their food. Yeah. Oh, I'll just use the other one. Yeah, so that's, exactly. That, that's kind of nice. That is yeah. a luxury. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the crew has not had as of yet, especially in these high, high crew compliment periods. You yeah. Know? Uh, so yeah, definitely. I think, you know, avoiding that line and having to take turns with uh, meal, um, meal times will be great. So, so you have, um, the t it's a this is kind of a technology demonstration is yes, sort of how you're absolutely. categorizing it right yes um, four months to a year test cycle right so that you at least want to test the performance of it um, is there a possibility you would just leave it there or absolutely. you need to make space oh you you would maybe leave it yeah there. you know so uh, for exploration PWD alike a lot of our other exploration um, we call them tech demos the idea is you know that they are not none of our systems are right now. Um, for mission success relied upon. And this is an important nuance is if we didn't have like my group's hardware where we're making things more efficient and lighter and more reliable or even adding more capability from a, a mission success perspective, it's not relied upon. So for okay. like, um, let's call them orbital replacement units and how we're um, managing spares and sustaining of this, these pieces of hardware, they're not... Um, required for ISS to function. It, it in a lot of cases helps, um, but in some cases it's more crew time and you know to try and demonstrate the technology. So, point being is is that if we get to the point where exploration PWD is showing its um, function as reliable and you know still good water quality, that extra rehydration station on station. That's a lot of this mouthful <laughs> uh, is, you know, we will keep it and it, cool. it wouldn't be just disposed of, you know, um, it would continue to run um, as long as it was providing benefit and demonstrating um, technology for what we're trying to do for exploration. So, um, yeah, it'd stay <laughs> That's fantastic. an extra benefit and extra rehydration for the crew. So, so great. So yeah. It has potentially long-term life and it's going to be in the lab, right? That's yep. the plan. So yep. you got one in node one and then, right? Is that the other one? No, wait, where's the, where's the, the galley rack? The galley rack. It's, galley rack, okay. That's okay. pretty sure, I can't believe this, but I'm pretty sure it's node one. Yeah. So okay, yeah, yeah. Someone's going to... Yeah. No, what's so, yeah, <laughs> I, I should know too, but um, yeah, no, so that's good. So, so they'll both be on there. That's great. And then um, what I'm thinking is looking forward, right? So there's, what we're thinking uh, now is this is... We, we've talked about all these nice features. We've talked about thinking ahead to the moon, to Mars, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Is that the next step for you guys, is thinking about, you know, beyond 
station, making it even smaller, you know, looking, yeah. making it even Gosh. more reliable? Or are you, are you there yet? Or are you just like, let's focus on XPWD you first? Know, I, you know, I think there is that drive to think, you know, as we, any project finishes up, you know, you think of, well, we are where we are with cost and schedule and, you know, where we made benefits and where we made our requirements so that we could improve upon this latest version. You know, there's always lessons learned and things that you capture through a project so that can roll into the next version, you know. Space exploration doesn't, uh, you know, end obviously with station. This is just the beginning of, you know, trying to demonstrate this type of technology. So um, like I even said earlier, you know, UV technology is, you know, uh, that that field is growing a lot. So application of how to utilize that in our system might even evolve with the technology over time. So you know, that's the great thing about it. You know, we're just trying to keep up with, you know, the, you know, this day and age technology, so to speak, and, and utilize what we can on those lessons learned in space. And surely there'll be another version. I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll uh, be good with just launching on NG19 and seeing how this performs and, yeah. you know, and then we'll, we'll see how we can improve for the future. Um, you know, I think, inherently with spacecrafts as they are and or you know the gateways and the you know other next uh, next systems you know that come along you know lighter better more reliable that'll always be the name of the game so they'll inherently always be room for improvements so. very good but well, there always need to be a puddle water spencer. Yeah, of some if you form. got crew up there, I, I hope mean, so. I mean, as long as there's someone needs to consume <laughs> someone something, you know, drink, to drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. there's going to be a f some form or factor of what you know we have developed. You know, with the you know whatever modifications in the design to facilitate that vehicle that it's on and and Absolutely. their requirements set. Yeah. You know, requirements drives everything. So sure. you know, and uh, in terms of how we design these things, but it's definitely a good springboard uh, moving forward for those new. Um, new vehicles and new new missions yeah absolutely you've worked really hard on this and it's very you know it's it's apparent to me that you're eager for this the <laughs> thing to go off you're like oh, i've worked so hard but do you have a sense of satisfaction or, or pride in just all the work you know testing the system improving the stagnation working on uv technologies you put a lot of a lot of work into this so like how do you feel with the product that's going up you feel proud of of everything you've done oh, yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah definitely i mean it's um uh, you know, knock on wood in terms yeah, of all the things we've actually <laughs> had, <laughs> you know, not, a, you know, very few problems and, you know, issues that have come up and that's awesome. And the little ones that have, you know, we are able to identify root cause immediately and, you know, get them and then fixed up and stuff. So we've had a lot of success, you know, first time right out of the gate. And that's, you know, course dedication or, you know, thanks to my, the teams involved and all the, all the guys that have worked into development. You know, of course, you know, having a, a good a bit of schedule to be able to take time to, you know, work on these aspects and stuff like that. Not And so that certainly has helped. But no, it's uh, it's been one of the uh, a more, I guess, complex project for at least for me personally in a while. So that's always fun, you know, as a as a project manager and working on different projects for ISS, you know, working on something cool and, you know, yeah. kind of neat and not you know, that's, that's definitely fulfilling. So New unique and, yeah. and important, you and know, important, like, yes, you know, like we said with the crew, mm. you know, this is such an important feature yeah. for, um, you know, being thrown into a brand new space and in, in space, you know, uh, having something familiar like food and, you know, having that comfort, I think is a yeah, big deal definitely. and improving upon that's important. And yeah, I'm so excited, uh, to get it up there. I'm, I'm excited for all the telemetry that we're going to get. Yeah. Cause I think, <laughs> you know, data is data. I mean, I'm an engineer of course, but you know, 
we haven't, like we've alluded to, you know, we really haven't seen system performance for PWD because we haven't had the ability to see the telemetry and how, mm. you know, the valves are working and in, in correlation with the heater or the dispense cycle. So, you know, having all this data will maybe, like you said earlier, you know, how can we improve upon the system? Knowing that now, having the insight into the system now, mm. I think that's also going to help overall of what we learn about the system and uh, microgravity and fluids in space. Sounds cool. That's awesome. And yeah. I'm, exci I'm excited for you both and the team yeah. that all put it together. So very, very, very exciting yeah. times. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Kate and Micah, for coming Thank on and talking about us. it. Yes. It was a great Thank time. You. Thank you. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> Even yeah. through the rain and the thunder throughout yeah. the, the, the podcast here. It That's was great. Well, we had, it was raining down as we were talking about water. We got that water theme. Yeah, so. we've got our water theme for sure. <laughs> awesome. Thank well, you both. appreciate you guys' time. Thanks. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really enjoyed the conversation today with Kate and Micah. Very energetic group. Uh, I definitely learned a lot from them both today, and I hope you did too. Uh, you can check out NASA.gov uh, for the latest, nasa.gov slash ISS, if you want to know what's going on aboard the International Space Station and all the great technology demonstrations and science aboard. We're one of many NASA podcasts across the whole agency, and you can check us all out at nasa.gov slash podcasts. That's where you can find us and our full collection of episodes, which you can listen to in no particular order. If you're on social media, you can talk to us on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can even use the hashtag AskNASA to submit an idea for the show or maybe ask a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on May 10th, 2023. Thanks to Will Flato, Pat Ryan, Justin Herring, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, Jen Jennings, and Destiny Duran. And of course, thanks again to Kate Toon and Micah Johnson for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.